0: Hi, it's Matt. Welcome to Money Lab. In this episode, um, I just want to briefly touch on a, 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 it was sort of a follow-up episode. In fact, it is a follow-up episode. I wanted to touch on the um, eight ways to improve content, right? I, I did an episode. It's one of my first episodes that I did this new version of the podcast. And what I realized was I wrote down all these ideas but I don't think I have a way of implementing them on a consistent basis. So what I want to do is sort of brainstorm some ideas on how I could take these eight concepts and turn them into actionable things that I could put into place and how I would do that. So this really came up because I was like, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite ideas was the idea of including survey data into my content. And I got an email today from Typeform, which is the um, you know the form company that I use to create surveys. And it was like, hey, you, you didn't create anything new. It was like just like you know a regular sales email thing, but it was automated. And I was like, oh right, typeform. Oh right, survey data. <sighs> okay, how do I actually bake that into a process so that when I do create an article, it includes survey data. So, okay. First thing I thought was, well, just add it as a thing to do. So let's say I'm creating two new articles a week and I go, okay. So does that mean every single week I'm going to send out an email with a survey and ask my audience to do something? That feels like a lot of asks. And, you know, so is this something that I have to think through a little bit, meaning I have to think in advance, and how would I do that? And then I have to think, okay, well, sure, I could do that, but that's still asking a lot for my audience. Like, I could, for example, combine a bunch of questions into one survey and send that out and then you know, people are you know, taking one big survey which then gives me a bunch of survey data for multiple articles, right? That's one idea. But I think I'd be better off doing it in small, like single to double, like two question surveys because more people are likely to do that. And does that mean that I couple the search, like what is my ultimate goal? So, what I'd like to brainstorm in this, well, since we're already on the topic, is how do I determine that this is survey data worth gathering and worth publishing, okay? So, for example, uh, let's just take, I'm actually going to just pull up my Asana board, and I want to see, you know, the most recent article I got. Okay. So... Okay, here's a a great example. Uh, I have an article coming up called something – it's it's about hot tub cover lifters, okay? So uh, if you don't own a hot tub and you want to know what that is, essentially uh, every hot tub, especially outdoor hot tubs, have – well, actually every hot tub – has this like insulated thick cover that sits on top of the hot tub. It keeps the heat in, right? Acts as like a lid for a thermos sort of thing. But it's a – It's it's thick, it's heavy, and as the water soaks up into it, it gets heavier and heavier over time and becomes harder and harder to lift, especially if you're an older person and you have trouble lifting things in general, trying to lift this heavy cover over time off of your hot tub becomes a problem. So they make these, they make multiple versions of all different shapes and sizes and, you know, technologies that can help you lift the cover off your hot tub, okay? That's what it is. Now... Not everyone owns these, and, every, and, and people own different versions of them. So is that something, is that a worthy enough survey data to go out? You know, meaning should I go out and survey my audience and ask some questions? Like, do you own a hot tub cover lift? Yes or no? Okay. So the first piece of survey data is to help, and, and yeah, I'm already thinking out loud, so this is helping, helping. So the first survey data I get is yes or no. Basically, I will get a percentage of, we asked X amount of hot tub owners whether they actually owned a hot tub cover lift or not. And survey says, let's just say 50% of people, you know, own a cover lifter, right? Now, we can spin this two ways. The idea of the post is an affiliate post, right? So we have two, on, on my website, we have two types of posts or at least I like to categorize them in my brain and I actually categorize them using advanced custom fields and admin columns pro as either they're an affiliate post or they're an information post. And the difference is, is that an information post usually starts with how to, right? An affiliate post is usually starts with the best, right? So we're looking at, we're trying to, we're doing, or, or it's a review and the idea of those posts is to convince someone to buy something right and if an information post is not to convince but to inform, so those are the two objectives of those posts so survey data is in my head I'm thinking is a really good way to convince somebody. Is it really a good way to inform my My gut says no or it doesn't matter. So I could take the exact same. So, so thinking about the, 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 going back to that example, right? So we want to convince somebody to invest in a hot tub cover. Like that's the point of the article, right? Now, chances are you're already Googling for the best hot tub cover. So you're already in the market for one, right? And so one of the survey data pieces we have is like, guess what? Only 50% of hot tub owners actually use a cover lift. And we think that's pretty tragic because hot tub cover lifts do this, 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 and that. And we think more people should own them. Conversely, we should say, you know, 50% of people own hot tub covers and these people see these benefits, blah, 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 right? So we could take that survey data and get the same information. Now, uh, or, or, or spin it to convince whatever we're trying to convince our audience to do, right? So that's just one question and one data point. The other data point we could say, okay, well, what kind of hot tub lift do you have? Do you have a, uh, you know, say you answered yes to the first question, like you own one. Then we could say, well, what kind do you have, right? And then maybe we can, maybe conversely... You know, so that way we find out, hey, one of the most popular types of cover lifts is this style of cover lift, right? Great. So now we kind of know which one's the most popular. Again, another convincing point. It's like, hey, most people own this type of hot tub or most this type of hot tub cover lift, and maybe it's the same cover lift that I would recommend, or maybe it's not. So if, let's say it is. Then we say, this is the most popular one. This is the most popular style. Um, you know, You should get this one, right? And we convinced you because guess what? You and everybody else, social proof, uses this same type of hot tub cover. Great. But let's say it's not. Let's say it's not the one I recommend. Say, ooh, guess what? A lot of people own this cover when really they're missing out on the benefits of owning this type of cover, which is better. So there's two ways to use that data, that survey data. Okay, okay. And then, you know, conversely, if they answer no to the first question, we could say, have you ever gone shopping for one? Or what held you back from buying one or from investing one? Was it price? Was it availability? Was it, you know, you didn't think you needed one, whatever it was. Find out those data points. And again, use those data points to convince the audience who's reading this to buy what we want them to buy, right? Or, or take us up. I shouldn't say that. Take us up on our recommendation. Again, you're already Googling for this, so you're already interested. So that's, you know, step one. Now, that's a way to make survey data useful. And it's and using it as a social proof metric to convince somebody to buy something, yes, okay? But what's the other benefit when I originally came up with this idea of using survey data and surveying the audience, what is the reason for doing this? What's the, like, what's the other benefit? So one of the benefits is yes, we're making our content better by providing statistics that somebody else is not gonna go through the trouble of creating, and also provide something that's unique, at least to our audience, right? So good for EEAT, good for uh, providing a unique point of view, all of these things, but, it's also the idea of the lazy journalist backlink building thing that I learned from Backlinko, which was, you know, if somebody is trying to do the research and find out, you know, a metric and we rank for that metric, well, then there you go. There, there it is. And then we get cited. So is there a journalist out there who's going to Ask the question, how many people own a hot tub cover lift? My guess is no. So that doesn't help that. But let's take this in a different direction. Let's take an informational post. Uh, The most recent one I have on my list to do is how much chlorine should you add to your hot tub? Which is totally informational. So we actually already know this data point because we collect this, is how many people use bromine versus chlorine in a hot tub? We know that because we collect that on a consistent basis. So we know what sanitizer people are using in their hot tubs. Might be a good data point to use. We already have it, right? So that informs me of one thing. There is... Data that we already have versus data that we need to get. And how often are we getting this data and what is the trigger to say, hey, we should do, we should survey our audience for this information. So I could sit here and say, it makes sense to survey our audience on things that they can easily answer? Mm, No. So the first type of post, like, so, okay, like the post comes up and it's about, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an affiliate post. Should we survey the audience for that affiliate post? So I did one recently that was like an affiliate post. That was, I did two in a row. So this would have been tougher to do. But it was like hot tub accessories, hot tub chemicals, things like that. I would have had to ask a lot of questions. So, what I'm asking myself is do we only use, do we only trigger a survey if the post that we're writing is an affiliate post, which is actually less than the informational posts? So, that's one sort of like, you know, filter. Which would reduce the number of times we survey our audience. Because what I'm worried about is, I do not want to survey our audience every week with a new question that actually doesn't help them in some way and doesn't feed our data point. Like, it doesn't make any sense for us as a company to store information in our system that says someone owns a hot tub cover, lifter, or not. Like, it just doesn't. I could see where we could use that information. Like, you know, we could go, okay, let's, 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 if, if somebody already owns a cover lifter, like, why do we send them an email about buying a cover lifter? Like, it, it, it allows us to increase our open rate pr- perhaps a bit more. But I don't think a lot of people are going to fill out that survey, which is fine. And also, like, I'd, re- you know, what if they're in the, then if you already own one, but what if you're in a market for a new one? So then you lose, on that, you lose that on that crowd. So I don't think that's a good – so it's, it, it, it's not – my worry is I'm constantly surveying my audience, right? That's my worry. And I also need criteria on, hey, this is when we survey an audience. When this lines up and maybe it's affiliate post and this other thing lines up. Maybe it's do we think – you know, do we think a, a company or a, or a, um, a journalistic uh, point of view, a journalist essentially, <laughs> uh, will want to know this information? Is this information, is the survey data helpful to the industry? Will the industry find this in- interesting as well? So, okay, let's take the hot tub cover lifter. I would argue no. The only people that would find that interesting are hot tub cover lifting companies. That's it, right? Because they would go, "Oh, we could do a lot more marketing or whatever." But it's not helpful. Like it wouldn't. Okay, it wouldn't be a cool stat to publish as an info an infographic on Facebook. You know, it wouldn't make you curious as a hot tub owner. Like, oh, is that so? Only fifty percent. Like, okay, who cares? Now, would it be interesting to know – let's take the informational post again. Again, we already have this data, but let's just say we don't. Would it be interesting to know how many people use chlorine versus bromine? I would argue, yes, that is kind of interesting and the, and the industry would find that interesting. Like, huh. In this – I'm – you know, and maybe it's pretty obvious – but it's still interesting to have a percentage number attached to that. Okay. So that could be one of the pieces of criteria. And that's something that I'd have to have deep industry knowledge to know if that would be interesting or not. So, for example, uh, let's take another uh, affiliate post. Right? And I the one that's coming to mind is uh, the best solar covers or something. Right? So if you don't know what a solar cover is for a pool, it's uh, – a bubble wrap cover that you put over top of your water that floats and it helps keep the heat in your water, okay? Um, And it helps attract a little bit of heat and it's, you know, cheap, easy way to use the sun's power to heat your pool. Got it. Okay, cool. So let's say we want to know for this article, how many, again, simple question, do you use a solar cover or not? Okay, yes or no? Would that be interesting to the, to the, to the pool industry to, to know how many people are actually using a solar cover or not? I would argue, yes, that's more interesting than a cover lifter because a cover lifter is simply an accessory to an accessory. This is a main thing. And I would also be curious, you know, What color do they cut it? Like there's so many more pieces of information about a solar cover that I could gather that could help inform the article. Whereas the only two questions I can think of for hot tub cover or hot tub cover lifter is, do you own a hot tub cover lifter? And if so, you know, which, which kind, which, you know, I really don't care, but, and again, the industry won't care. But okay, we learned that. And maybe people don't even know which kind they have. That could be a problem too. And then conversely, okay, so you don't own a cover lifter. I keep saying cover, but cover lifter. Why didn't you buy one? Now that is interesting. But again, that data is only interesting to people who sell cover lifters, not the industry as a whole. So I think one of the questions that I have to ask myself when I have a new article that I need to write is what are what are some of the survey questions I would ask, and if I ask, would it be interesting, you know, to the industry as a whole? You know, yes, I could ask the hot tub cover lifter questions, and that would be helpful to the article. But then I'm just you know, but then I'm, I'm I burn. A survey ask. Does that make sense? So like I only – I have to imagine that I I have a limited number of survey asks a year to my audience, right? Because I'm going to experience diminishing returns. So let's say I I send an email out this month for January and I ask my audience about the hot tub cover lifter questions. Simple two questions. Like not a big deal, Right? all right i'm I'm thinking about this I'm thinking this out loud, okay. I actually might have already come up with a solution, but let's say I do that, okay, but then you know, I have another article next month that may be even more important, but I've already burned my ask on the first one, so I probably shouldn't do that, right? Okay, maybe I'm thinking about this too granular, like I'm too. Specific to each article. Perhaps what I have to do is instead think about the pool owner as a whole and the hot tub owner as a whole, right? And instead of sending out survey data once a week or once a month and asking people over and over again for different surveys, which might be tough, maybe it's a twice a year thing, but the survey is bigger. So let's say I have a survey. Um, I have one survey. So we, so we send out an automatic survey to all new people that we're collecting, right? And we're asking them questions about their specific pool and their specific hot tub. I could add questions to that and it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think the problem with that is that the bigger your survey is, right, the more – the less – I should say the less people are going to fill it out because it's like, dude, how many fucking questions are you going to ask? In fact, I, th- I often think about this uh, – I, o- I often think about – I get this survey once a year from this uh, homebrewing site where they just ask like – they ask a ton of questions about your homebrewing you know, stuff and then they just publish that data, right? They don't pick and choose pieces of that data and use it in future content. They just, they do it once, they publish all the stats every single year. That's just one thing they do. We have an ongoing collection basis where we do know some basic information, right? For pools and hot tubs, but... We don't ask these big-ass surveys to get, like, nuanced data on a plethora of things. And so there's – I think there, you're, there's – you have to think about it in two ways, okay? One way is I could send out a massive once-a-year survey ask to my entire audience – And the survey is very long, but in one fell swoop, I get a ton of information that I can sprinkle across many articles over the year, right? That's one way to do it. The second way to do it would be to ask a very minimal amount of questions, so like a very quick survey, and use that, and and then just use the data for whatever I'm trying to create. And maybe I can kill two birds with one stone where I, you know, maybe have two articles that I need to write that are very similar and I can group that ask together in a single survey. And my worry is am I going to burn out the audience on constantly asking for surveys or is there another way to think about that? So I think if I were to send out one big-ass survey once a year, I would get less participants in that just because of the survey being so long. Like, and what's the incentive for that person to fill it out? Now, I could include, hey, if you fill out this big-ass survey that we're asking you to do, you know, we will set – you know, we'll pick – you know, five winners or 10 winners and we'll send them an Amazon gift card or something along those lines. But then I've talked about this where I think that incentive will get the wrong kind of data. People will just fill it out and say anything just to say that they completed it just for an entry into a contest, right? I would fucking do that too. And I'd be like, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna like, it's like taking a test you don't care about. I'm just gonna fill in the bubbles. Maybe make a pattern, You know, but that's you know. So I do think, thinking that out loud, the the big massive one timer isn't gonna work. I think I just have to do it periodically and see how it goes. I think this is a test. And I think one, I don't think that the hot tub cover lifter thing is important enough, but I do believe that I did I did just create an article about hot tub chemicals. And an article about hot tub accessories, right? So this is a new article that is a hot tub accessory. I could right now create a survey that I can send about hot tub accessories. And then from that one survey, I could probably get enough data to maybe fill in little bits and pieces for about maybe six articles. And then I probably won't send another survey for another six months. But it still doesn't or sorry, uh, three months, maybe every quarter. But it still doesn't answer the question as what triggers that. Is it is it hey? All right, is it a sauna task that I just set up every quarter where I say, hey. It's time to survey the list. What are your upcoming, look at your upcoming articles and see if there's any groups that we can send out and let's get that data. And so we're always looking at the quarter ahead. And so we're getting that data now for the quarter ahead. And then we can send out that email. It can go out automatically. And then when it comes time to write the articles, we now can reference a you know, a, a, a thing, a group. That's not bad. And then what we can do is every quarter, right? Let's say, let's say we go a whole year and we've out a survey every quarter to hot tub owners. And each survey is a different grouping. It's, you know, one's hot tub accessories, one's hot tub chemicals, one's, You know, some, I don't know. There's not much in the hot tub space. There's definitely going to be more in the pool space. But I think there's enough groups that we could cluster together and get the data that we really want. And then once we have that, we basically just schedule, we basically just send it out once a quarter and it's the same survey. So we're just collecting more and more data and we just keep going back into those articles and beefing up those numbers. So it looks better. For example, let's say I send out a – now, this is, this is retroactive. So we'll say, hey, we knew these articles were coming up in January, February, March, right? We, um, let's say we send it out in January and we get a bunch of people to fill out this hot tub accessories um, survey, right? That's the name of the survey, hot tub accessories, right? And – we're not storing that data against their profile, so we're not asking for email addresses. We're just asking, hey, what's, what do you guys read on this? Like, what do you have? Like, let's just find out a little bit more information, right, about what hot tub owners have and what they're interested in and things like that. So it's a, I would say it's not a two-question survey. It's not a super long survey, but it's like maybe, you know, let's say five to ten-question survey. So it's like pretty beefy, but like, you know, again, we're using this to help shape our content, help make the, you know, stuff better and understand more about our audience, right? We make the email super short, super short ask, super short survey, multiple choice. Let's, you know, make it easy for everybody. Once we have that cluster and that survey, it doesn't mean we have to stop sending it. It just means, okay. Let's say we, we get through all the survey data and we're like, oh, I don't know what else to send." Like it's it's quarter, like it's, let's say it's the fifth or sixth quarter of doing this. And I go, oh, "I've run out of topic clusters for survey data. I don't have any more." So, does that mean we stop sending out survey data or we stop sending out to get more survey data? I'd say no. What what I would do in that case is go, "Fine. Let's send out one that we already have. Let's resend it to the list and get them to do it again, right? And maybe we can store, you know, let, I don't even care if people fill it out again, to be honest. But let's, let's send it again. And that, and that, and you know, a year later, we'll have a whole new group of people, right? So we'll get a whole, it'll, 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 we still have that same data, we just add it on top of that. And once we add on top of that, now we can go back into those articles where we use that survey data. And maybe this is something to keep track of. I don't know. Like, did we use survey data here or not? But I think at this point I would know. And I would go, all right, now we have more updated data. So we can go back and say, hey, we surveyed blah, 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 blah in 2025. And this is how many people filled it out. And this is what our survey says. All right, am I gonna write this down? Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, I'm gonna write ways to implement, uh, we'll call it content upgrades, uh, content improvements. Okay? We're going to say, send quarterly surveys uh, based on upcoming article topic clusters. Yes. All right. That's how we implement that. And we just have to, um, we're going to say uh, recurring Asana task. And essentially, the task will be look at what the upcoming articles are for the next quarter. Is there a clear topic cluster that we could formulate a survey on? Create that survey in type form, schedule that email to go out this quarter. So that we get that – we start getting that data and then by the next quarter when we start writing those articles, we can just reference back to that type form and then there's the data. Cool. All right. Love that. Now, let's move on to something else. So we have uh, analogies and naming systems. So analogies and naming systems, um, I don't have a way to – so I have not – so – when I'm creating articles, I'm hoping that my way of teaching just sort of naturally comes up and I present analogies. In fact, uh, this did happen. So I did an article recently where I talked about green water uh, green water in a hot tub, right? And in that article, I actually, so, so uh, fun fact, I actually dictated that article in this, in this space, well, as I'm doing now, sort of. And I I used ChatGPT and, and the script and all that and created this article. It actually worked pretty well. I think I could fine-tune it to be better, but so far it worked. And it worked because I knew how to solve that topic off the top of my head, right? And I used, I printed out an outline and I dictated it, blah, 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 did the whole thing. In So here's what's interesting. This is a skill set of mine, I think, which is walking around, talking and educating and, and convincing and I'm better at doing this than I am at writing it, I think. So in that moment, as I'm talking about green water, one of the ways that water turns green is through copper, right? Copper mixes with, oxidizes and becomes green and that can make your water green in your hot tub which is common. And I said, it's like the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty is green, right? Or whatever color you want to call it, teal. That statue is entirely made of copper. In fact, it's made of 31 tons of copper. Now I didn't know that number off the top of my head, right? But I knew that factoid because I've used that factoid to explain how, how copper can turn water green. It clearly turned the Statue of Liberty green. And somebody gets to learn a fun fact that maybe they didn't know, right? Now, I said that out loud because I've used that analogy a ton of times in my, in my teaching when I worked at the stores and, and did service and stuff. So I don't, I don't think that would have came out had I just been typing it. Is is my guess. But I also didn't like think to myself in the moment, hey Matt, make sure you use an analogy, make sure you start using more analogies, make sure you name these things, make sure you do these two things. But with the with the Statue of Liberty example, is I wrote it, you know, or I said it, dictated it. Put it in. Put it into the script. It, it it gave me the script. Put it in Chat GPT. It cleaned it up, and it was there, right? However, I went when I went to go edit it. When I did my edit pass, I was like, "Oh well, let's throw an image in there, right? Let's let's show an old picture of when the Statue of Liberty was first constructed and how copper it was, and then show a picture of it today, and that would be cool visual representation of that." And two, I was like, "How do I prove?" that this is actually true. So I actually did some Googling because I'm like, I've said this a million times. Do I really know if this is true or not? I'm like, well, why would I say it? I mean, somebody told me this story, but I went and researched it, you know, in in post. And I found out there's a website. It's an, I believe it's an EDU domain, but it was like all about the Statue of Liberty. And it said, and it gave you all the stats about the construction of the Statue of Liberty and I, that's where i learned it's 31 it's made of 31 tons of copper so i was like oh i'm going to throw that little factoid into this post and i'm going to link to that source so that gives me a nice external link right then i was like is this true turns out snopes has an article that says yes this is true it it is made of copper it was copper But it has oxidized and that is what caused it to turn green. So like everything that I had said and the story that I heard is true, I added that piece of information where I said, this is 100% true and I linked to that Snopes article. Boom, second uh, external link. And that was all, that all came from an analogy that I had naturally dictated. But is there a way to retroactively look at content that I've written or dictate it and go, is there a way I can analogize this or is there a way to name a system here? So that said, I'm going to write that I have to add part of my process when I create an article, right? I'm going to add, uh, Analogy, naming, step to publishing checklist. So I've done an, I've done a podcast where I talked about my checklist. It's very long. I've condensed it a little bit. So I ended up combining just just for the sake of brevity in asana and number of tasks to c- complete. I've combined a. Some things that made sense, so like, you know, I can add a tag, add a category, and and do all these things in one step. So I added them as one step, as as opposed to three separate steps. So I did a lot of that to clean up the number of things that I would have to check off. So this would be something I think I would have to add. So there's one in that original uh, podcast I talked about how I add a featured snippet to every post. Now. I may not do the featured snippet as I'm writing. I'm not, I'm not thinking through my, to myself, ooh, this would make a good featured snippet. Sometimes I do, but then sometimes I don't, I forget. But I have a step in my publishing process, in my publishing checklist that goes, did you add a featured snippet? And I go, you know what, I didn't. Let me go look and see if there's any factoid within this content that I could sort of isolate into a featured snippet and maybe bulk up a bit. So it, 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 what it does is it forces me to improve the content. I think adding this step and I can name it, I can put it in one step. So like, you know, analogize or name or brand name something in the article. Like, did you do that? Now, if I go through the article and I go, I got nothing, then, you know, check it off and move on. But if it's like, all right, let me really think about this. Maybe I did an article about I don't know cleaning hot tub filters, and I'm like, you know, I put steps here, like I did a st- I, I, there's a there's a there's a step walkthrough on how to do this. Maybe I just fucking name that, you know, and maybe I try to name it off in alliteration. So I go, all right, can I can I think through these headlines and these steps and give it a clever, fun, easy way to remember? So that would be the naming part of it, or maybe, um. You know, I, so when I was, I was writing an article about pH in a hot tub, raising and lowering pH, and I was like, could I use an analogy here? What is an analogy like, you know, and, and so, wait, wait oh, what was I, oh, oh, no, it wasn't that one. Here's what I did. So, I mean, I did this in the moment, but if I had this written down in, in a post editing checklist, then I could have gone back and read through my work and go, oh, like blank, like this, right? So for example, I wrote an article about hot tub, like foaming, your hot tub foams up, right? And what causes this is your water getting thicker, right? And, and I said, I use quotes, like thick water, right? And I said, it's like adding milk to your coffee. That's the analogy. Because I think people can understand coffee is a thin beverage, but you add milk to it, and it becomes a thick beverage, right? And I think everyone can picture that, regardless whether you drink coffee or not. You add milk to tea. You add milk to anything and you realize it's thick. If you blow bubbles, right, with a straw, in a glass of water, you'll see bubbles, but they dissipate instantly, right? They're just gone. Now, you blow, you do the same thing, take a straw, stick it in a glass of milk and blow bubbles, you are going to, it's going to overflow with bubbles. That is another analogy I could have used. Probably even a fucking better one. So, yes, I do believe that for that one, I have to go back. I, you know, I, I can't just rely on myself to come up with those things in the moment of writing. As I just came up with that right the fuck now. And in my head, I'm like, well, I did the coffee cream one. That's good. no. I think the visual, the, visual, the visual aspect of blowing bubbles in a glass of water versus a glass of milk is different. Now, 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 I'm getting excited. Okay, so I just came up with that fucking analogy and I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> so I am getting off this podcast and going back into that article and I'm updating that analogy, right? What's even cooler about that analogy is that I can show that visualization because I own a straw, <laughs> I own a glass of water, and I don't own milk, but I could go buy a small pint of milk, and I could come back to my house, and I could take pictures of my iPhone of me blowing bubbles into a glass of water to a glass of milk. That is unique content. That is an image which goes into my other thing about photos. How do I add that to my list? Well, I just told you. That's how I would do it. I can take photos of analogies if it makes sense. And that would add a unique element to the, to the article. And... People would go, right, that's why I'm getting foam. My water's thick. Well, what causes thick water? Here's what causes thick water. How do you de-thicken water? Here's how you de-thicken it. Oh my God, I understand why I have hot tub foam and how to instantly solve it because that's what it means. Go the extra mile and, and, and take pictures of the analogy. Or... You know, you could do a graphic. I could do a cartoon of that. But, you know, anybody can do that. Is somebody actually going to get in their car and go get a glass of milk and set up a camera and actually shoot this and actually do the experiment in real time? That's a lot more steps. But I think just leans into the EEAT way more and just shows Google that like, look, we're fucking trying here, okay? That's, that's what I'm going to say to that. Photos, I have that in my lit checklist already. And one of the things that I started doing was, I, I think in my original checklist, and I don't know if I updated this in the, in the podcast, but I said, oh, um, I used to have images. Sorry, I used to say graphics. I would say create graphics or add Graphics. And to me, that meant go into Adobe XD and draw something and make something that's unique. But I changed that to create images. And then in parentheses, I have graphics and photos. Now, as you know, if you listen to this show long enough, I do not own a polar hot tub. So I would have to go to someone's house to take these pictures. Now, in, in Colorado in the wintertime, which is January as I'm recording this, there are plenty of hot tubs but there are no open pools, and even in the summer, there are very there's not that many pools here in the state. So, I do have content that, like video content that I've gotten from the people that we pay. I can repurpose that video content into still images just by, you know, playing the video in QuickTime on my computer, right? Scrubbing to the section that I need, taking a screenshot. And now I have a photo of somebody doing something if it serves the article. So I've and I know this sort of off the top of my head, which is I don't just add images because I can, I add images if they serve the reader, if they actually help somebody to understand. For example, if like I would I would add a chart to you know a chart that would teach somebody like how many, you know, pounds of chlorine to add to whatever, like that's super helpful. But showing someone adding chlorine is not helpful because one, there are multiple ways to add chlorine. And two, if, the, if I'm just telling somebody how much chlorine to add, showing an image of somebody adding chlorine isn't actually helpful unless there was a certain technique into how to add that chlorine, which there really isn't, but in this case, let's say there were, then I'd go, oh, well, I'll take a picture of somebody doing the technique properly, or perhaps even fucking better, is I take a clip of that video and I use Giphy and I create an animated GIF of it in real time and I just keep looping it as an animated GIF so people can see the process. Now that is interesting and unique. So, I'm just going to write this down because I need to write it down. I'm going to write graphics, photos, or animated GIFs because I did not – I don't have that on my list. Okay? Okay. Now. I think we still have more to go, but let's look. We have uh, tools, that's a tougher one. Personal experience, uh, okay, so analogy, naming. I'm also gonna add personal experience up there. Because I think I can kill all that with one stone, one, one specific task for myself. Um, yeah, I think that's it. The other ones that are like, uh, I had on there, it's just mainly for me, but it's, um, make sure that your conversions, meaning your, uh, like, let's say I say add one ounce of baking soda. It should be one ounce or, you know, 10 grams or whatever, or 28 grams of baking soda. So I should always include the metric version, which we do. Um, do I need to write that as a step to improve? No, I don't think so. Cause again, I think I do that as is, um, you know, embed the podcast. So yeah, one of the things, and I'll just say this out loud because, um, I, I started, I, this was one of the things that I had to figure out. So in that episode, I said, Hey, why don't you record a podcast?" For your, so if you don't have a podcast for your website, for your niche site, and again, this is like how to beat AI sort of thing and make you seem more trustworthy, all of this stuff. So, my thought was how do I improve the content and at the same time put myself out there as the internet's pool boy and you know, just whatever. So, making the content better was giving people another way to consume it. So you can read the content, you can, so part of my checklist was embed a video. So if we have a video or multiple videos, embed that video into the content, great. And then the third thing was like, the third way to to consume content is audio, right? So just just read the post to me, right? So what I started doing was when I was finished to post, I in fact, I had this in my list of record podcasts, but that... The, that checklist became a bottleneck. If I didn't record the podcast, then I couldn't finish the article. And when I say record the podcast, I mean record and schedule and publish it. And the reason why I, that was such a bottleneck for me wasn't because of the recording. It was, well, I just did an episode very similar. And so I don't want to back-to-back episodes of similar things. I wanted to kind of mix it up. So I would like save it So what I ended up doing was um, I just changed it from record podcast to uh, schedule recording for podcast. So I actually created a separate Asana project for recording podcasts, right? And so what I do now is I have a separate thing and I, I pick one day where I batch record a bunch of stuff right? So I'll batch record like four article reads, which again, they all come out to about 15 minutes. And so it takes me about an hour to read them, maybe another hour to edit them and upload them and, and schedule them, right? And then I have another thing on my list, another task that comes up every week that says embed article or podcast episodes that have been published. And the reason for doing this was I didn't want to just record an episode. Like, so I finish an article, and let's say I do two, or two articles a week, right? And right now, I'm really only doing hot tub articles. So that's also I have two podcasts: I'm a pool one and a hot tub one. And I've I've dedicated myself to publishing a new article. Sorry, publishing a new podcast episode on both of those podcasts every Monday, right? So that's fine. So I'm dripping it out slowly because I want there to be consistency. The reason I want that is because when a journalist or somebody who's, or who's looking for a pool expert is doing any kind of research, I want them to know that this podcast is active. It is constantly being published, right? Wow, they've been publishing for a year straight every Monday without fail, holy shit, this is great. Like, I want that, like, trust factor, which to me is this person publishes consistently. Now, if, let's say, I decide, you know, to only do one article a week, well, that means I'm only recording one podcast and the other show gets neglected and then it doesn't publish once a week. So, I needed to separate that task into its own thing so that the articles themselves are not the bottleneck to me recording, okay? So, and I think it allows me also, if I wanted to expand the podcast into not just reading articles, but perhaps answering questions or doing some type of other show format, I can do that, right? So now I have a podcasting project within Asana, and so... Part of my checklist is just to add that article to my queue of episodes to record in bulk. Now, the other task that I have that just, that just pops up once a week is embed that Monday's episode, whatever pops up that Monday, embed that episode into the post, right? So every Monday, it says embed published podcast episodes. Simple as that. So I go in, okay, I go into Transistor, which is the uh, software that I use for publishing podcasts, and I say, oh, which, which episodes came out Monday? Great, okay, go into that article, add it, and what I do, and I don't know if everybody, everyone, any, I don't know if every SEO is gonna agree with this, but I'm like, why the fuck not? I go in and add that embedded podcast episode, to the bottom of the article. Should I add at the top? I don't know yet. It's definitely something worth testing. And, and I would put it on a very popular article or one article, and then I would just run a heat map on there and see how many people are clicking it, sort of thing. And see if it's taking away from see if it you know maybe kills my lead generation on that page. It might, it may not, who knows? Right? So it's worth testing, and that's something – you know what? I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write test uh, embed podcast placement. And and honestly, for me, it's top or bottom. Now, bottom, it's like the only – I just want to test the placement – Actually, just want me write top, top, because I want to know. Let's let's take an art like and then, I'm, this is a fucking tangent, by the way. I'm sorry, but let's say I have a uh, a post, right, a single post, and I decide, okay, I'm going to move this embeddable podcast episode to the very top, right, and let's say I have enough data on that post to know how many subscribers I get, which I do. Okay. I want to know if that kills my subscriber rate or not or increases it. So I would measure it for another two months or something, put the heat map on it. So I could see, are people actually clicking this or is it just getting in the way? Right. Or is it slowing down my website? Things like that. Um, I don't, I think it's, it's all lazy loaded, so it should be fine. Uh, and so did my subscriber conversion rate go down on that, on that particular article where I moved it up? Yes or no? No. Okay, so then no change. It doesn't matter where I put it. But then I can also see, did people actually listen to it? Did it increase the podcast listenership? Did it, you know, what other metrics did it improve? Did it, did it lower the, you know, and maybe it's an A-B test. I don't know. But did it lower the you know, video view rate and maybe the video, I don't know. So it's just something to test. But anyway, uh, the once a week I have it on my list on my, it's a recurring task to just go and embed that article. Okay. So I think those are the ways that I can implement. The one thing I don't know how to implement yet is the tools. Because here's the thing with tools. Um, I am in a, I'm at a crossroads where I go, can I make the tool, right? Can I actually sit down and code the tool or should I get somebody else to code it? I already have the GitHub list up and it could be doable. I honestly think I would probably hire for that because one, it would take me way more time, because I'm not a developer, it would take me way more time to create the tool. But what I would be good at is, I would be good at like designing the tool, what it looks like in Adobe XD, and then filming a video, sort of showing the developer that I hire, how I would implement, you know, like how it would work essentially. And then have them go into GitHub, and create that as part of my existing plugin of tools. And then, you know, that essentially, yeah, I think that's worth the money to do. So yes, uh, I don't have a system for that yet. It feels very extra when I could sit there and just implement these content improvements on a consistent basis and then go, all right, it's time to hire somebody or whatever. So that's it for this episode. Hopefully it was helpful if you've listened this far, if you've gotten this far in the deep end, which is what Colin and Samir use, but I feel like that's a pool thing, so I should be able to use that too. Maybe I, maybe I add that as part of my podcast for pool school. If you've made it to the deep end, nah, that's stupid. Anyway, if you made it this far and you have any questions or whatever, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, moneylab.com. That's it. Goodbye.